been going through a series on the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I know we've taken a little break as we've been going through a mini-series on repentance. Uh, I'm going to wait till I get back into Matthew because next week is anniversary Sunday and uh, uh, if I go through Matthew, this week, next week would be about Pontius Pilate. I'm not sure if that's what I want to talk about on the 20th anniversary. So uh, we're going to hold off and uh, get back to that later this month. Uh, but for this morning, we're going to be looking at the subject of the Lord remembering us even when we feel abandoned by Him. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, if you notice the songs so far, we're also a, a good, good selection, by the way. And uh, thank you, music group, for uh, helping us worship God uh, through song. Uh, it, it talks about bearing patiently, waiting on the Lord, and... Uh, um, not um, not giving into a sense of I'm abandoned, God has abandoned me. Uh, the Lord uh, remembers us even though we may feel abandoned by Him. So let's pray and see what the Lord has in store for us as we look at this uh, subject. Lord, scriptures remind us again and again of uh, your goodness towards us. You're always mindful of each and every one of our lives. And uh, in fact, we are reminded in the scriptures, even before we were formed, every day that was ordained for us was visible before you because you ordained it. That is very comforting for us. Lord Jesus, you reminded us, even the very hairs our head are numbered. It, it is so comforting to know that we have a God who is so intimately involved in the lives of His people. You care so much. Even though you're seated in the heavens, you are so close to us. So I pray that you would encourage our hearts and strengthen us to be reminded again and again, even during those dark times, that you always remember us. Even if we feel abandoned, help us to come back to the rock-solid truth. You never leave us. You never forsake us. So please help me as I speak these truths to your people. And I pray that you will bring forth much fruit from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look back at your life uh, when you've gone through some very challenging times. How did you feel? Did you feel abandoned by God because the circumstances were not changing and it was going on and on and on and things were only getting worse? Maybe it was some financial difficulties. Maybe some health issues or struggles in the workplace, or even relationship battles. Whatever it was, think back, what was your response? Disappointment with God? Angry at Him? Discouraged and depressed? Or you patiently waited on Him to bring deliverance in His time? In my message today, 
My purpose is simple. To encourage all of us when facing trials of a prolonged nature to exhibit that fourth response. Patiently waiting on him to bring deliverance in his time and in his way. Not to let disappointment with God crowd our hearts. Not to let anger dominate our hearts. Anger towards God. Or allow discouragement and eventually depression to control us. But in order to have that kind of a response, it's easier said than done. It's not easy. So especially when the, when the trial is not stopping and the trial keeps on going. And in fact, you feel that the trial intensifies even more as time goes on. To patiently trust in God to bring about a change is not easy. But here's the good news. The Bible clearly tells us it is possible to have this kind of a godly response, to patiently wait on Him even when the trial is intense. It's possible if we are willing to embrace this biblical truth. And what is it? God never forgets His children. He remembers them even if they feel abandoned by Him. Let me repeat that again. God never forgets His children. He remembers them even if they feel abandoned by Him. That word remember doesn't mean that God has memory loss. The word remember when it's used in this kind of a context means God remembering His own with an attitude of kindness in terms of delivering them. That's the idea. God showing favor upon them. That's the idea of God remembering His own when they go through periods of, prolonged periods of darkness and suffering. You see, God remembering His own in this way is a fact that Scripture repeatedly reminds us. I want to show you six examples from the Bible of God remembering His own with an attitude of kindness to show favor. Example number one, Noah. Look at Genesis chapter 7. It's the first book of the Bible, so easy to find. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's Bibles in the table there. Please feel free to take one and you're welcome to take it with you if you uh, don't have a Bible uh, and you'd like to own a Bible, it's free of charge. All the resources there are free. Please uh, feel free to utilize them. Now the background here is God has brought the flood upon the entire world. And Genesis 7 ends in verse 24 with this word, the waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. That's five months in the Jewish calendar. Jewish calendar is 30 days per month. So five months, water has flooded. 40 days, there was, uh, 40 days and nights, there was rain. And then aftermath of that, you got uh, this flooding going on. During that time, Noah and his family and the animals that God brought into the ark are inside. 
they could not come out obviously you know there's uh, this fear of being drowned and uh, as they look around you can see this dead bodies floating around but genesis 8 starts with this comforting turn of events look at verse 1 of genesis 8 but god remembered noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded but god in contrast with 150 days earth flooded that phrase but god if you ever do a little search you will be amazed at what you see the scriptures talk about but god always in contrast with a dark and dismal circumstance but god he remembered noah not only noah all the wild animals as well all the wild animals as well there's some extra bibles in the bag underneath that desk andy if you're looking for okay um we can only imagine because we are not told what was going on in the mind of noah and his family members especially when you consider how long they were in the ark how long you ask a little over a year let me show that to you also from few passages look at genesis chapter 7 and verse 11 genesis 711 describes the precise age of noah when the flood came verse 11 says in the 600th year of noah's life on the 17th day of the second month okay 600th year 17th day second month on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the flood gates of the heavens were opened so from the bottom everything opened up from the top everything opened up this was a huge deluge so it was a 17th day now come back to uh, come over to genesis 8 i'm going to read from verses 13 through 17 this tells us noah was a little over 600 and 1 years old when he came out of the ark look at verse 13 by the first day of the first month of noah's 601st year the water had dried up from the earth noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry by the 27th day of the second month that's his his life the earth was completely dry then god said to noah come out of the ark you and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number so noah exited the ark on the 27th day of the second month of his 601st year he went in on the 17th day of the second month of the 600th year so if you calculate that that's a year and 10 days okay a year and 10 days keep in mind noah entered the ark and only after 7 days the flood came so you add that 7 days too so looking at about 377 days the point is it was little over a year everything around us dying and eventually got dead there's no way out they're locked in would have been easy to have felt abandoned by god in a few days of covid keeping us inside in the initial days 
me a lot of people go crazy. This, think about this, in a bigger magnitude. Yet we are told in Genesis 8.1, God remembered Noah. In this context, God remembering Noah is God recalling his promise to deliver Noah through the flood. In Genesis 6, this is what God promised Noah in verses 17 and 18. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has a breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. So God was now putting that promise into action and bringing you out. God remembered Noah in order to start acting upon his promise. If God had to make uh, this promise come to pass, he had to keep Noah safe in the ark. So God remembered him to initiate the deliverance process. So Noah stands here as example number one in our little list of how God remembers his own. Even when they might have felt abandoned, especially under prolonged and dire circumstances. Example number two, Abraham. Abraham. Genesis 18 tells us about um, Abraham having three heavenly visitors. One being the angel of the Lord, might, might as very well have been the uh, pre-incarnate Christ himself. And in, they, they come to uh, talk about Sarah is going to have a child. And then in verses 16 through 33 of Genesis 18, we read about God telling Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham starts pleading with God because he's got his nephew Lot in Sodom. So he's pleading, will you spare the city if there's 50 righteous people, uh, 40, 30, then finally he stops with 10. He assumed that at least there would be 10 righteous people that would prevent those cities from getting destroyed. We are not told in Genesis 18, that Abraham received an answer there. Abraham prayed and the chapter closes with that. And then in 19, the story picks up with what was going on in Sodom just before the destruction came. One can only wonder what was going on in Abraham's mind. Genesis 19 records God raining down burning sulfur on those sinful cities as he poured out his righteous judgment on them. Look at verse 24 of Genesis 19. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Then we read this in verse 27. Abraham, from a distance, observing the aftermath of this judgment on the next day. Verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Think about what's going on in Abraham's mind right now. We're not told that Lot came to Abraham and told him he escaped. Lot is fleeing. What would have gone in Abraham's 
mind. Did God hear my prayer and somehow deliver a lot? Or seeing the smoke, conclusion, there were not even ten righteous men. So God wiped out both those cities. I prefer to think that probably was what he was thinking, though the text does not say that. But at this point, maybe later Lot met up with Abraham, but at this point, as we read the text here, Abraham is probably thinking like that. But then in verse nine, verse 29, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. Again, he remembered Abraham with a sense of kindness. Abraham, you prayed, you pleaded, you interceded. I'm remembering you. And as a result, I will bring Lot out. And he brought Lot out of the cat catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So God did remember Abraham. Even though Abraham might have felt, God didn't hear my prayers, I'm seeing all this dense smoke rising. So he, Abraham, stands as our example number two in this list of how God remembers his own, even when they might have felt abandoned by him. Example number three, Israelites in Egypt. Look at Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Genesis ends with Joseph dying and Exodus starts with a new Pharaoh. Years later, comes to power. He is, uh, he is not showing favor to the uh, Jewish people and they are in slavery. Things were getting worse and worse. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 begins with this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Again, as he sees their plight, as he hears their groaning, God remembered. He remembered. And so the later chapters talk about in, in, in what way did he remember? He raises up Moses to bring his people out. Even though the Israelites suffered long, 400 years, according to Genesis 15, was the duration of their suffering. They may have felt abandoned by God, yet God did not forget them. In keeping with His purposes and His glorious promises, God remembered the groaning Israelites and brought the miraculous deliverance that the entire Old Testament often mentions, the Exodus, the great redemption. So that's our third example of God remembering His own when they cry out to Him and feel the answers just are not coming. Has God abandoned me? Sometimes you see that, right? People say, if God is real, God is, loves me, why am I going through this? It's getting worse and worse. Example number four, the godly woman Hannah. The godly woman Hannah. And in 1 Samuel 1, uh, this is what we read. Let me give you the page number in a moment here. For Samuel 1, it's page 380. Page 380 in the church Bible here. 
Hannah, a godly woman, was childless for many years and that caused her great pain. And during one of those painful times, this is what we read Hannah did in verses 10 through 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Here is Hannah crying out to God in deep anguish. And after she prayed, she goes home to continue her life as usual. But notice what we read in verse 19. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah, her husband, made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Lord remembered her. And the next verse tells us, in what sense did the Lord remember her? Verse 20, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord of him. Or asked the Lord for him. You see, unlike the New Testament, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, barrenness was considered a negative thing. Even singleness was considered a negative thing. New Testament does not talk about the New Testament it's different so but in that context she's going through this and not due to any sin of hers and I was a godly woman why did the wicked prosper she could see Penina breathing like rabbit and mocking her and here's a child of God weeping but in keeping with God's promises God remembered her. We must understand Hannah's struggle in the light of the Old Testament context. But the point here again is this, yet another proof of God remembering his own, in this case by giving Hannah a son. So Noah, Abraham, Israelites in Egypt, and Hannah. Four examples we've seen so far. Look at example number five. The psalmists the psalmists, various psalmists, they repeatedly remind us how God remembered his people while in distress and delivered them, or in some cases, how God relented in executing judgment. Let's look at a few psalms. Psalm 98. Psalm 98, page 857. Page 857, Psalm 98, verse 3. The psalmist calls calls people to sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. And then we find in verse 3, why are we to sing to this Lord? Why are we to do this? He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All ends of the earth have seen the salvation or the deliverance of our God. He has remembered. He has not forgotten. He has remembered. Psalm 105, verse 42. Same thing. The psalmist talks about here are people rebelling against God the wilderness the people in the wilderness rebelling against God grumbling and complaining yet God time and time again 
showed favor to them look at verse 42 for he remembered his holy promise given to his servant abraham god made a covenant with abraham i'm going to bring a nation out of you 400 years they will be afflicted then i'll bring them out even though they're wicked and rebellious and repeatedly keep turning their backs to me and not their faces yet he remembered his holy promise and he relented psalm 106 verse 45 again same same idea let's pick it up from verse 44 uh, let's pick it up from verse 43 many times he delivered them but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry for their sake he remembered his covenant and out of his great love he relented he caused all who held them captive to show them mercy this is how god remembered pulling back in going through with his judgment and enabling the captors to show these wicked rebellious people mercy mercy no wonder the people often praised god for remembering them in kindness like this one example in psalm 136 verse 23 psalm 136 and verse 23 there's this refrain uh, give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures forever his love endures forever the congregation is supposed to respond to the the, the leaders call there verse 23 he remembered us in our low estate his love endures forever he remembered us this is why we give thanks to the lord he remembered us in our low estate time and time again in keeping with this loving and compassionate nature the lord remembered his people israel even at times when the situation seemed dark and prolonged it's not just temporary darkness it just seems prolonged and the people felt as though god had completely abandoned them but god did not god is working in that darkness we think god is working only when he brings me out of the darkness in that darkness he sustains us and the sixth and in in in, in this is just my opinion and in my opinion perhaps the best of all examples is in the new testament in this example we see how god remembers even when everything everything utterly seems lost perhaps the most comforting of all examples of god remembering his people while we don't in this example explicitly read the phrase god remembered what we're going to see here is how specifically the lord jesus responded to the sincere cry of a repentant person crying out and pleading with him to remember him in kindness some of you already know where i'm going with this it's that repentant thief on the cross luke chapter 23 turn with me to luke 23 in the new testament it's page 15 06 page 1506 the scene is jesus hanging on the cross bearing our sins and suffering in great anguish two thieves were crucified one on the left one on the right initially both of them were mocking jesus but later one of them has a change of heart 
Let's pick up the story from verse 39 of Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now I want you to notice certain aspects of his repentance, which was a true repentance in verses 40 and 41. First of all, notice he starts with a sense of acknowledging the need to fear God. True repentance starts with fearing God. Don't you fear God? Keep in mind, he's looking at Jesus. Bruised and battered, naked. Hanging there. He's saying, don't you fear God? Notice he also acknowledges his own sin. And that he's guilty of punishment. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. Lamentations 3 talks about, why should anyone complain? Any man complain when being punished for their sins. And he also notice declares Jesus being sinless. This man has done nothing wrong. Sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That's Jesus. And then came his remarkable request in verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let me highlight again. Certain things from his petition here. It may seem like a simple prayer, but there's a lot more in this prayer than what you might see at a casual glance. First of all, he is not demanding for immediate deliverance like the other criminal did. Save us and you. He's not, he's not asking Jesus, get me out of this cross. He simply asks Jesus to remember him. Obviously the word remember is show mercy. Not in the here and now. But some, somewhere in the distant future. When you come into your kingdom. That's what true repentance is. Not get me out of this. Get me out of this. I deserve this. Have mercy. Second. Notice even though Jesus was hanging there. Hopeless. And in shame from a regular person's perspective. This repentant thief did believe by faith that death was not the last chapter for Jesus, but that he would defeat death and rise again. If not, why would he say, remember me in the future when you come into your kingdom, which means you will come back. Death will be conquered by you. That's marvelous faith there. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus, which is an important part of true saving faith. Third, he believed Jesus is the king, the Messiah, who will set up God's kingdom on earth. If not, why would he say, remember me, when you come into your kingdom? That word when denotes his rock-solid faith there. Remember, this man is dying. But his rock-solid faith, you will come, you will set up your kingdom. Fourth, he believed there is judgment after death and that Jesus would be the judge of all mankind. If not, why would he ask Jesus to remember him when he comes in his kingdom? He would have said, can you help me out with the judge on that day? 
You are the judge. You remember me with mercy. So you see, while on the surface this might look like a simple prayer, this man's repentance and faith is genuine because the Holy Spirit was working in his heart. Even at that 11th hour, 59th minute, 59th second, as he was undergoing excruciating suffering, he might have said, it's too late. What's the point? I've lived a life of sin. I might as well die this way. No. He doesn't do that. It shows, number one, God never gives up on people and neither should we till the very last second. And neither should you if you're still far away from Christ thinking you're so bad, it's too late for you to be saved. No, it's not. No, it's not. Now, if this man's petition doesn't blow our mind away, see what comes next. Jesus' response in verse 43. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I don't know if I can do that. You've really messed up. You've been such a bad person. Time and time again, you are given so many opportunities. You squandered them all. Too bad. It's too late. That is not what he says. Nothing of that kind. Look at his response. Perhaps no other statement in the Bible reveals the tender heart of the Savior who is always longing to save repentant sinners even when the clock is ticking and only seconds are left before they die. Jesus answered in verse 43, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a response. Not tomorrow. Not next month. Not a few years from now. Not someday in the future after you suffer for a little while in purgatory. But today, today you yourself will be with me in paradise. Now you think that was the expectation of the repentant thief? That clearly wasn't his expectation because he says remember me sometime in the future. Think of this. The man is there dying and he's hearing this response from Jesus. Today, I'm going to go there before you to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. Jesus said that in John 14 to his disciples. This man was the first recipient of that. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Just think about that. Once again, we see how precious and gracious our Lord is. How God's love and forgiveness is something so beyond our understanding. Jesus tells us that God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 verses 10 through 12. Imagine the joy this repentant thief would have experienced in the midst of literally he is dying he's dying and imagine the unspeakable joy he would have experienced a second after he died it was asleep for him it wasn't death it was asleep he awoke right in the presence hey we just talked Jesus <laughs> Just imagine. It shows how merciful, how kind and compassionate our God is who remembers people. There was nobody for this thief. No one 
all alone. But Jesus was there. You may feel you're all alone. You may feel abandoned. You're not. You're a child of God. Jesus is with you. His promise never to leave us, never to forsake us. So don't let darkness and prolonged suffering cause you to forget the precious promises of His presence with us at all times. Let me also say something else that will encourage you even more to help you patiently wait on God to bring deliverance in His time, in His way when facing trials of a prolonged nature. The same God who remembers His children even if they feel abandoned by Him does not remember one specific thing when it comes to them. And what is that? He does not remember their sins. He, he does not remember the sins of all who turn to Him for the forgiveness of those sins by putting their faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, God Himself makes a promise not to remember their sins. Did you know that? The letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, reminds us. God promised that in Jeremiah 31, but in Hebrews 10, page 1714, latter part of the Bible, page 1714, Hebrews chapter 10 and, 10 and verse 17. Here's the record of God making a promise. And what a promise this is. This is the promise. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And what's the basis on which God promises to never remember our sins anymore? Verse 12 describes that. When this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see that phrase, for one had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. It's based on Jesus' perfect sacrifice. Jesus shedding his blood. And that blood being accepted. The proof God raised him from the dead. It's based on that sacrifice. God says for those who put their faith in my son. I promise to never bring up their sins again. You know human beings promise to bring up your sin again and again. Even if you ask for forgiveness. But our God. When we ask for forgiveness. With you there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. Some people say with me there is no forgiveness so that you will fear me. They use that bitterness as a club to control people. But here, look at the text again. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Again, doesn't mean God has memory loss. He promises not to bring them back again in a way to throw it at their face as a form of accusation. That's the idea. See, everything else is earthly deliverance. This is the eternal deliverance. I promise to never bring your sins again. Because they've been repented of. If it's not repented, that's a different issue. We'll talk about that in a moment. All our sins, past, present, future, buried under the blood of Jesus, who for all time, one time, paid the full price for our sins. That, folks, 
is the most significant source of encouragement for all of us, especially during times when we are abandoned by God. What's the worst thing you fear that could happen to you? You may die, but that's the best thing. You're ushered into his presence who's never going to talk about your sin ever again. Not your conscience, not the world, no one. What joy, what comfort this should give us. Unfortunately, this joy and comfort is only for those who belong to Jesus. For those of you, there are some of you here, who are still far away from Jesus. Maybe even coming to church for years together. But you never really put your faith in Jesus. For people like you, the news is dark. You will never have this joy, never experience true comfort when you realize what's ahead. And what is that? This same God who does not remember the sins of those who put their faith in His Son has promised to also remember every sin that you've committed because they're not forgiven. You see, when people die with their sins unforgiven, all that is left for them is to face God's fierce and final judgment in that day, in the future, that the Bible describes as judgment day. On that day, God will remember every single sin that you've committed in your thought, in your actions, everything. Sin is not just the bad that you do, even the good that you fail to do. Anything that you've not done by faith also is sin. He'll bring them out one by one by one by one. All those deeds of bitterness, anger, greed, lust, you name it. Everything. And he will use that as a basis for sending you to your final place. A place the Bible describes as the lake of fire or otherwise known as hell where you'll suffer for all eternity. There's weeping, there's gnashing. Weeping is the sorrow. Gnashing is that you put me here. God. Kind of rebellion. You will never be able to repent on that day. Bible describes this. The last book of the Bible. You're in Hebrews, turn to the last book, Revelation chapter 20. This is the second to last, or two chapters before the book ends. In Revelation 20, page 1769, verses 11 through 15, gives the details. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Here's Jesus in all his glory as the judge, coming to execute the final judgment. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. See, books are there to record. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Would you please notice that each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Again, that statement, end of verse 13, each person was judged according to what they had done teaches us important truths. The sins we commit today, 
will not be forgotten but brought up as a basis for punishment in the future. See, sins are, can only be punished in one or two ways. One, the sinner has to bear it for all eternity. Or two, the sinner has to accept Jesus Christ who buries all his sin under his blood. Either Jesus has to pay or you pay. Scriptures make that very clear. This way God does not compromise on his holiness but also God displays his mercy. The invitation is there for every single person. That repentant thief, he got forgiveness. Why can't you? What's stopping you? But if not, every sin that you've ever committed, that is a massive amount of sins to answer for on the day of judgment and you can never answer for it. Even in hell, because you will never repent, you will continue to keep getting punished. That is why hell is an eternal place of conscious torment. fact of the matter is this, no one can pay the full price for sins on their own. Why? Because nobody has ever lived the perfect life except one person, the God-man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Only he lived the perfect life. A fact that the repentant thief acknowledged on the cross, this man has done nothing wrong. Pilate would say three times, he is innocent, he is innocent, he is innocent. We'll look at that when we get to that section in Matthew. Even his enemies said he's innocent. That's why he alone qualifies to be the perfect substitute for our sins. And by his death and the subsequent resurrection we're given proof that the price for sins has been accepted. All we have to do is accept the gift that God gives us by turning from our sins and surrendering our life to Jesus Christ by faith believing he alone can save us. So the choice is clear. In repentance and faith you can go to Jesus the Savior and Lord while you're still alive have your sins paid in full and that way make sure Jesus will not remember your sins in the future. Or you can reject Jesus now. Carry all your sins. You can be the Lord of your life. Carry all your sins but will face him as the Lord and judge on that coming day of judgment where he will bring out every single sin since you've even forgotten to your remembrance before saying depart from me for all eternity and there you will truly experience what it means to be once for all abandoned by God not just feel abandoned to be truly abandoned by God. What will you choose? Jesus remembering you in kindness as your Savior and Lord? When I mean, you remember that, you will not get disappointed with God when He doesn't seem to answer right away. You will not get angry with God. You will not fall into depression. But you will patiently wait for his deliverance in his way, in his time. 
and finish this race knowing that my Lord never forgets me. He always remembers me. Or eat, drink, be merry now. But there's another side to that coin. Weeping and gnashing of teeth and truly experiencing abandonment by God for all eternity. I pray the Holy Spirit will help you to make the right choice. It's not too late. Come. And if you're a child of God, if you've been discouraged, disappointed, even angry with God, acknowledge that to Him. He understands your pain. As I said before, Jesus lived the life of a sheep also. He knows our pains. He knows our sorrows. He's there with us. Even when we walk through that darkest valley, we need not fear. He is with us. And one day, we will be in His presence for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for being the God that you are. And Jesus, thank you for coming and exposing this, these truths to us through your person and through your life and example and your words. And Remember us, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. Remember us. Amen.